true confession is that uh, I used to buy the cheapest gasoline I could possibly find to put in my vehicle. So I would hunt around wasting gasoline looking for the cheapest prices and uh, fill up. Well, this came back to hurt me. One day after filling up uh, my gas tank, uh, my car started to behave in a strange manner and uh, stall, kept stalling out and by the time I got in my driveway, it would not move anymore. I tried a few things, and uh, uh, long story short, uh, after uh, getting it towed uh, and uh, spending eight hours and uh, hundreds of dollars, found out that what I had was a tank full of green solvent and not gasoline. Uh, some tankers were going around selling this to uh, independent fly-by-night gas stations, and so I don't uh, visit such places anymore. I look for more reputable places so I don't get uh, phony gas gas that is in name only. Uh, Amy and I were uh, traveling a couple of years ago. We were sitting in a, uh, uh, at breakfast at uh, the hotel we were staying at, and a guy stopped me and he said, uh, I thought you were Billy Joel. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, it's not, no, I realize you're not because you, you're, you're a lot bigger and you're, you're younger and, and better looking. He had to throw that in there because I was getting a little upset. Because I am, a, a, he's a foot shorter than me, Billy Joel is, he's 10 years older, he's a lot wealthier, and he's an atheist, so we don't really have anything in common. Although I do know all uh, the, the, the words to Piano Man, I'm not going to sing them. Uh, so I, I'm not Billy Joel, though I might look like him. Uh, Garrett Wyman uh, works as a waiter in a restaurant in Wichita, Kansas. And he was very excited one day uh, after a customer left to see a $20 bill tucked under the ketchup bottle, bottle as a tip at the table. But on closer inspection, he realized that the tip was fake. It's a phony. It, what it was was actually a tract, a gospel tract, urging him to become a Christian. And the customer did not even leave an actual tip. This is the worst kind of tract imaginable, by the way. Christians already are known as terrible, horrible tippers. So if anybody thinks you might be a Christian, make sure you tip extra. Uh, but a, a track that pretends to be a $20 bill, not a good idea in my estimation. Uh, fake money. Now when Jesus says, I am the true vine, understand that that means there are untrue vines. That there are counterfeits. There are phonies. There are fakes. Uh, there are things that are vine in name only that are wrong. Things that may look real, but are not real. And, and it's crucial to examine your life today in light of Jesus' words. You need to understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the true vine. And understand the difference that it makes to your life and mine right now. Uh, the series that we have been in, it's called I am. It's on the I am statements that Jesus makes, seven of them in the Gospel of John. And uh, previously, uh, we've heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way. And today we come to the last statement, I am the true vine. Uh, that's what Jesus says in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, understanding these words doesn't come as easily to us as it does to the original audience Jesus was speaking to. 
Uh, because Jesus lived in a land filled with vineyards. Everyone knew about grapevines. And they did because it was a major part of that culture. Uh, they grew grapes to eat and to make wine. And you never grew vines to look pretty. That was not their purpose. Their whole purpose was to produce fruit. You needed that fruit. And if there was no fruit, then that vine was worthless, no matter how good it looked otherwise. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Uh, the word true, aletheos in the Greek language Jesus uh, uses here in, in the Gospels, it means I'm the real one. That is the one that is life-giving. The source of fruitfulness. I am genuine. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now there's another layer of meaning that his original audience would have gotten that we don't get at all unless we take some time to study it. And that is numerous times in the Old Testament, God referred to his own people as a vine. Just for an example, uh, Psalm 80 describes how God took that vine out of Egypt and transplanted it in a new land. He's talking about how he took Israel out of slavery in Egypt and put them in the land, the promised land. Isaiah chapter 5 is a love song from God to his people. And in that love song, he calls them a vineyard that he planted in good soil. And he cultivated it, and he watered it, and he protected it. But then when he went to harvest the fruit, it only produced bad grapes. And so this imagery of Israel as a vine is, is throughout the Old Testament. And it's a vine that failed to produce what God wanted. And despite God's care, they were not faithful. Uh, God's chosen people failed in that way. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine... This is another invitation that he is the source of real life, that he's the only way to please God. That Jesus is able to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Even God's chosen people could never live up to God's holy standards. They could never be good enough. They could never please God the way that he should be pleased. And Jesus says, I'm the one that can do that. Through me, in me. All other sources of life fail. I'm the real, true vine then he goes on verse 2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so right away you see that jesus is talking about people being connected to him that's the imagery that he's using since he's the only source of real life the only way to have true life is to be attached to jesus and here, Jesus refers to two types of people uh, who are connected to him. The dead wood that doesn't produce, and the live wood that does produce. So here's the deal. If, to have a productive vine, you must remove the dead wood and trim the live wood. Jesus uses the terms that cut off or cut back. Uh, that's what's going on in verse 2. And so uh, this he says, God does to those who are attached to him. He cuts off the dead wood and he cuts back or prunes the live wood. In other words, God, God destroys and God disciplines. But what is dead wood? Dead wood is attached to the vine, but there's no life flowing through it. So there's no fruit. Dead wood must be removed because it harbors disease and, and, and decay. 
Now, many of you might immediately wonder, you think, well, this is about people attached to Jesus. Uh, Am I dead wood? Is that who I am? Am I in danger of being cut off? Uh, So, can a person be born again and then lost? And the answer is no. Jesus repeatedly teaches the opposite. In fact, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, uh, John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never throw away. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them away. John 18, 9, I have not lost one of those you gave me, he told his father. And so since Jesus here is not teaching that you can lose your salvation, who is Deadwood? Who is this? Well, the Deadwood are those people who are just superficially, externally attached to Jesus. They may have grown up in church. They may identify as Christian. Uh, They may be good people. They might get baptized. But that connection with Jesus is not life-giving. So there is a kind of attachment to Jesus, a kind of believing that is not saving. There's no fruit produced. Now, Jesus does not define fruit here. Not in this entire passage. So I'm not going to do it either. He doesn't define what the fruit is. But the point is, if there's a real connection to Jesus, He will produce something in you and through you. Now that might not always be obvious. It might not always be what other people can see. But there will be some production. We had some, uh, a couple visit us friends from uh, Virginia last year. I think it was in the spring, late winter. I get confused about seasons here in Houston. But uh, when they walked toward our house, uh, my friend pointed at one of the trees in my front yard and he says, that's dead, cut it down. Now, he lives out in the country. And so, yeah, he would go cut that down. I would have to call my homeowners association and get a professional to come in and take it down because it's a big tree. And there's, first of all, no way I was going to do that. And secondly, I knew it wasn't dead. It wasn't dead. It was dormant, but it's not dead. And yes, indeed, uh, not long after he left, spring or summer or whatever season it was came and leaves grew and littered all over my yard and all the helicopters and whatever else comes off this tree all over my yard. Yes, it's still alive. Unfortunately, it's still alive. Wasn't obvious to him. And the fruit in your life might not be obvious to others. The question is, does the life of Jesus flow through you? And if so, something will be produced. Something will be produced. Um, You might not think it's very much. But if you're vitally attached to Jesus, his life flows through you and fruit results. And because, and if you are vitally attached to Jesus, guess what's going to happen to your life? You're going to be cut back. You will be pruned. Those are the two options Jesus gives. You're attached to me, either you're dead wood or you're getting cut off, or I'm going to prune you so you will grow even more. So, katharao here, the word for prune, means to trim clean. You trim clean. An untrimmed vine will will grow long, rambling branches, and it will produce less and less fruit. Uh, And it must be trimmed clean so that more energy grows into growing fruit instead of growing vine. When you're attached to Jesus, there will be pruning. God is at work to make you more and more productive for Him. If you are vitally connected to Jesus, then expect to be pruned. 
God is shaping you toward fruitfulness. And so that means there will be some hard times in your life because you're connected to Jesus. There will be painful experiences. There will be heavy responsibilities. There will be difficult conversations. There will be long delays in what you want to see happen. There will be necessary discipline. There will be some tough losses that you experience that are all about God trimming you clean, cutting back your life for the better. Billy Graham once said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. Now, what that means is that you expect that in the lowest points of your life, what God is doing, He's actually pruning you for greater fruitfulness. Some of you are being pruned today, and you don't like that. But that is evidence that God is at work in your life because you're attached to Him. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and there are 11 of them left. When he says this, one of them is already gone. That's Judas. He had already left the table because Jesus said, what, what you're going to do, you better go do quickly. Jesus, Judas left the table to go betray Jesus. He looked like he was attached, but he was superficially attached. He was dead wood, and he was cut off. So there's only 11 of these guys left, and Jesus says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And remember, let's remember, these 11 guys that are left, far from perfect. They, these guys, they're, they're, they, they're something else. In just a few hours, most of them would abandon Jesus when he gets arrested. Trouble coming, they run the other way. Peter, who said, I'll never deny you. I'll never run away. Peter very soon would deny he ever knew Jesus and he would dress it up with some cuss words so they believed him. These guys are a mess. But they're vitally connected to Jesus. His word was at work in their lives and, and these guys would change the world. I think that's where many of us are at. We might be kind of a mess, but when we're vitally attached to Jesus, he uses us in a great way. Verse 4, 5, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that word abide is not one that we use very much today. I don't hear it in our common language. It simply means to remain, to stay with. And I like the phrase, make your home with. I think make your home with expresses what this word abide means. Now we, uh, Amy and I and uh, our daughters flew to uh, New York last weekend for a funeral for Amy's brother. And uh, when we go to New York, uh, Amy calls that going home. Uh, because that's where she grew up. That's where her parents are, her extended family is. It's also where I, I did only grow up there, but I did spend a number of years in that part of the world. That's where I was born. That's where my mother and my brother live. She feels at home there, and so do I. But it's not home. She knows that's not home. I know that's not home. We don't live there. Our life is here. 
We're based here. Our stuff is here. Our bills all come here. This is all. Jesus says, make your home with me. Make your home with me, as mine is with you. Find your constant flow of life in me. And when that's true, you'll be fruitful. When your home is with Jesus, when you're connected to him, fruit is inevitable. It's inevitable. Again, he doesn't define what that fruit is. Now I could go elsewhere in scripture and talk about that. I'm not going to. Jesus doesn't define it. When you're attached to Jesus, your life will produce much. Now much meaning more than anybody else? No. Your life might produce much more than mine, might produce different fruit than mine. It's, it's different, but you much as opposed to what it would do apart from Jesus. See, whatever that fruit is, you can't produce it on your own. It's not self-generated. Jesus says, if you, you're not connected to me, you can't produce this fruit at all. Now next he expresses or describes the fate of those who don't make their home with him. That's verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So to cut yourself off from Jesus as the source of life, to disconnect from him, to refuse to make your home with Jesus, means judgment. I don't know for certain if this is a reference to hell that Jesus mentions here when he talks about fire, but Jesus did talk an awful lot about hell, more about hell than heaven, and referenced the fire of God's judgment frequently. Uh, Jesus described hell as a real place. I, I don't know if that's what he is referring to here, but clearly Jesus is saying that not abiding in him has horrific consequences. You're not attached to Jesus? Horrific consequences. The verbs thrown away and withers are in the aorist tense, which emphasizes action that is immediate and final. It's immediate and final. Now, what does it mean to make your home with Jesus? What does it mean? Yeah, yeah I believe. I, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. What does it mean to abide in him? How do I abide? Well, there's several ways here from what Jesus says. Let me point them out to you. We'll start with verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So first, note this. Abiding means I am saturated with the truth of Jesus. You believe in him, but, but then your life is lived, you're saturated with that truth. The truth of Jesus will shape your desire, shape, you're steeped in the good news of Christ. Now, some of you might recognize the, the, the picture here. This is Chicago, this is the Chicago River, and this is St. Patrick's Day, because that's what they do every St. Patrick's Day. Coming up soon, they dye the river green. And it's a pretty green. Um, how they do this? They take 40 pounds of powder, which is actually orange, before it goes in the water. And they take some boats and they spread that powder, uh, churn that powder into the water upstream and let it flow downstream as it turns green. And it, and it keeps that, that river flowing green uh, so you can't see the bodies floating by, uh, floating for, for like a whole day. Now one year... Uh, they put in, they tried 100 pounds of powder, and the, and the river was green for a week. So they don't do that anymore. But just those 40 pounds uh, does that. It, it influences, 
It, it saturates the entire river, changes the entire color of the, the, the river for that whole day. Now, that's what the Word of Jesus needs to do in our lives. It's not just, I read a psalm in the morning, or I read the verse of the day, and then I go about my business. No, what it's about, it's allowing that Word to influence your life. It's, it's that influence that every part of your life is influenced by that word, whether it's a psalm or a verse or, or a whole book. Uh, that, that, that's what influences what you do, what you say, how you respond. Making a home for the word of Jesus in every area. I, I get so concerned because constantly I see people who disconnect, God-fearing people, people who know Jesus, disconnect the truth of the gospel from their views of politics and politicians or from business, or from friendships, or from money, or from people they don't like. But no, the Word of God has to influence all of your life. Second, notice that verse 7 says, abiding means my prayers will match God's will. My prayers match God's will. The truth of Jesus will shape my desires. I will want what God wants. I will recognize His authority over all of my life. Now, this is a shocking statement Jesus makes. He makes several of these. Uh, just the chapter before, uh, verse 14, Jesus said to his disciples, Ask anything in my name and I will do it. That's a bold statement. But this is written to those who make their home in Jesus. As Dr. Merle Tenney says, Jesus isn't promising to gratify our every whim, but so long as the believer is seeking the Lord's will in his life, Jesus would grant every request that would help accomplish that end. I'll be honest with you, there are times... I can be so bold in prayer because I know that what I'm praying for is what God wants. It's His will. I know that because it's revealed in Scripture. There's so many things we know God wants. What I don't know is how He's going to do it and when He's going to do it. And He never does it either of those ways that I'm expecting, wanting, or asking. It seems. It's, but that, that's what I don't know, but I can pray boldly. And I say, God, do this for your glory. And when this happens, I will know you did it, and I will give you praise. So I mentioned my brother-in-law dying. Uh, and uh, yeah, obviously a strong Christian man. Had a lot of people praying for him for these last number of months as he battled cancer. And at one point, I learned this last weekend that uh, he, asked, he had asked everybody to stop praying that he would be healed. He said, I don't want to go through this twice. He said, I'm ready to meet Jesus now. Praying for God's will. You know what God's will is. You pray boldly. And abiding means my prayers match the will of God. Jesus continues, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abiding means my life reflects that I follow Jesus. My life reflects that. Kirk Cousins is the uh, quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. He did an interview with ESPN uh, not too long ago uh, where they showed at the front door of his house is this big jar filled with stones. That's a picture of it right there. And, and so why is this big jar filled with stones there in front of your house, Kirk? Uh, Kirk says, well, uh, listen, it's this way. Uh, let's just say I plan to live till I'm 90. Can't, no guarantees, but let's say I live till I'm 90. Uh, I have one stone for every month of that in that jar. So I'm, I'm 30 years old now. That's 720 stones in that jar. And so every month, 
I take a stone out of that jar and carry it with me as a visual reminder of how much time on earth I have and how much shorter it's getting. Why does he do this? Well, the idea came to him from a Bible study that uh, was done, uh, that he was part of from Psalm 90, verse 12, that says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Cousins says, This reminds him to make an impact on the lives of people every single day because we only have so many days. I think that there's wisdom in that. I think that's great wisdom. Making my home with Jesus in Jesus means that everything I do reveals my connection to him and so I want to influence the people around me because of Jesus I'm not going to be about my own agenda but the character of Jesus and the mission of Jesus shows up in everything I do and say that's what abiding means it means my life reflects that I follow him and then verse 9 and 10 as the father has loved me so have I loved you Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So put it in these words. All right, I've lost control. There we go. Abiding means I obey out of love for Jesus. It means I obey out of love for Jesus. Jesus says, the love I have for you it's as large as the Father's love for me. So, so think of it this way. How much does Jesus love you? As much as God the Father loves his Son. That's astounding. So I want to make my home in that love. How do I do that? Jesus says, keep my commandments. Being obedient to Jesus is, is how I abide in him. And, and probably most of you who hear that can only think about all the ways that you failed to obey him. All the ways you failed. There's so much failure in my life. But the beauty of this is that when I know the love of the Savior, I want to obey him. And when I fail to obey him, I confess and I turn from my sin and ask for his forgiveness, and he never fails to forgive me. That's the beauty of it. I want to obey Jesus. Not because I'm trying to earn his love, can't do that, but because I already have his love. God has poured out his love to me in Christ, and I, I know that nothing in all of creation can tear me away from that love. There's no power that can do that. A love so great that God sent his only son into this broken world, this sin-cursed world. A love so great that the perfect Jesus entered our time and space and took our sin on himself. And the, the wrath, the punishment that I deserve was poured out on him, fell on him. His pain and suffering was beyond comprehension as he paid the death penalty that was mine. He spilled his blood in agony. The perfect son of God died and defeated death three days later by rising from the grave, paying that death penalty that was mine so that all who believe might be called the children of God. That's love. And so I obey, not out of fear, not out of some twisted sense of earning my salvation, but out of love. I love him because he first loved me. So the question I need to ask myself every single day is one you need to ask too. Is there anything I am more attached to than Jesus? Is, is there some source of, of life, some source of comfort I'm going to other than Jesus? 
Am I making my home in him today? So 50 years ago, Apollo 11 blasted off, sending American astronauts toward the moon to become the first humans to walk on the lunar surface. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin entered the the lunar module named Eagle, separated from the spacecraft Columbia, and landed on the moon. Buzz Aldrin, who's pictured here, most of the pictures of him because Neil Armstrong took them, you can see in the reflection of his, of, uh, his mask, you can see Neil Armstrong uh, taking the picture. You can see the lunar module in the background. When they landed on the moon, Buzz sent this message back. Houston, this is Eagle. I would like to request a few moments of silence. I would like to invite each person listening in to give thanks in his own individual way. And what Aldrin had done, he had chosen to bring as his personal item communion elements. And during the silence that he called for, Aldrin opened the little plastic packages which contained the bread and the wine. And he poured the wine into a silver chalice given to him by his church. And Aldrin described it this way. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled slowly and gracefully up the side of the cup. It was interesting to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon, the very first food eaten there were communion elements. And then I read John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. Aldrin said, I I felt this verse fit perfectly. This indicates that as we probe space, we are in fact trusting Christ. And moments later, they climbed down Eagle's ladder and stepped onto the lunar surface. Let me just encourage you today to take no step, big or small, apart from Jesus. Uh, Probably none of us are going to do something that historic and monumental, but every single day of our lives, in steps big or small, Jesus says, feed on me. Be attached to me. Make your home in me. Abide in me. Feed on the one who is the bread of life. Find your source of life in the only vine that is true. I invite you now to do something that Jesus called us to do. What helps us to abide in him. And that is to celebrate around his table. The table of the Lord. As our Servers take their places at these tables. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to go to a table near you. If your faith is in Jesus, if you have one who has put your trust in Christ alone, then you are welcome to this table to take a piece of the bread, symbolic of his body that bore the weight of our sin, and to dip that into the cup, which symbolizes his blood poured out for us, the one sacrifice the source of our life and strength. And then after dipping to take and eat in remembrance of Him. In this way, you remember the Lord's death until He comes again. And my friends, everything we do, all that is going on in our world, calls us and pulls us away from keeping our eyes on the Savior. And in this way, 
you remember, where is the source of my strength? Where's the source of my hope? Where is my salvation? It is in Christ alone. Eat and drink in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this privilege of honoring you. As we eat and drink, may we do so with great thanksgiving because you have done all for us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.